Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. Allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May in this service be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your redemption, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. I lay the service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Слава Богу, слава Богу. 
The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, a letter of Apostle Paul. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Or, faith is a substance of the things we have hoped for and the evidence of things of this invisible hope. We must know that first and foremost that all that exists was once in the depths of God, and therefore before it came to be, it was already in God. It was always contained in God. It's not just all of a sudden, on accident, everything came to be. God had wanted this desire to create, and all of this, as we know, was always in God. It didn't happen on accident. And second, all that exists is a result of the action of the faith of God. Faith of God is the information or the revelation of God expressed in the Word of God that comes from the mouth of God. Third, all that we see had existed in the invisible state until that moment that God had made it visible through voicing his thoughts into word. Fourth, the faith of God is always directed to that which is hidden in God or that which we cannot yet see. Fifth, the faith of God always deals with the inner reality or with that potential that we cannot see but we can feel and endure only in imaginative images when we see information through the Word of God. Sixth, faith says, I can't see this, but I know, I truly know that it is there. Faith does not have a relation to that which we have done, but only to that which we can do. On one end, we must know that God is filled with all of the good desires and blessings that are directed in the address of man, his children. And on the other hand, he can't without the action of man to fulfill his will and to bless man. God is bound by His Word and that no good He can do for man without man's agreement on this. He waits for us to ask Him for all that is necessary for a holy life and godliness. But we must ask for it with faith because faith answers. Faith is knowledge that if we, out of something which God has promised, do not see, it still exists. And therefore, life according to faith requires that we, like all hearers of faith, could look at the invisible, because all that exists today was once found in God. And all of that which we can become today is already found in us. Speaking with the tongue of man, God is impregnated by the fact that invisibly, He still can, He still answers what we ask for Him in prayer. When we ask for something according to faith, or the fact that we have accepted from God in our heart, what we have desired begins to draw closer to us. We need to know that God is interested in blessing us. He will give only that which we will desire in prayer. God has never given anything without the fervent desire of man. 
men must desire these promises because the phrase a person desires, awaits because he truly desires. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. For surely I say to whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. To have the faith of God, I repeat, is to desire, ask for, and wait for the revelation of the will of God so that we can immediately fulfill it or be ready to hear God and fulfill what we have heard, which is practically one and the same. To ask is to desire and to use for this means presented by God and all the potential of our abilities. To receive is to accept what we have asked for and to inherit it as right of inheritors. Therefore, the faith of God is contained in this. When we honor God in tithes and offerings, then He has promised us to open His heavens and allow us to see Himself. Because we can receive all that is necessary only in God and not outside of Him. Therefore, when we honor God in tithes and offerings, we need to search for the countenance of God because only in Him we can receive all that is necessary. Oftentimes, people want to receive something outside of God, but we need to have knowledge of the fact that all that we desire is already found in God and simultaneously in us. By faith, we have already accepted those promises that belong to us. They are already found in us. When we honor God in tithes and offerings, we need to proclaim in doing so, Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ, we, your, your hallow, and in Evidence, as evidence to this, we separate our tithes from our home, our first fruits, and we honor you with these first fruits. And therefore, those people who do not honor God in tithes and offerings, they have no evidence that they are children of God. Whether or not we want to accept this or not, whether or not we agree to this or not, the Word of God is unchanging. This is not my desire, and this is not my interpretation. This is the um, the direct text of Scripture. This is written in Malachi chapter 3. You will say, how do we turn to God? And therefore, God says through Malachi, you know how? Bring all the tithes into my storehouse so that in my home there may be food. And in testimony this, says the Lord, will I not open for you the heavens and shall I not rain upon you the blessings abundantly? And blessed you will be called all peoples because you are going to be a desired land says the lord of hosts and therefore let us stand and let us thank god and tithes with tithes and offerings by separating them from our household and despite the fact that they are in uh, they don't they are in our in our use they don't belong to us and by offering him tithes we will testify before god that we love him and that we acknowledge his authority over us.
I will live under the shadow of your wings, is a song we will sing. I will gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, he was called to, according to the words of Moses, which he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. And tonight I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And so according to your word, I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Ты поддержишь и наставишь. 
So if you have a Bible, you can open along with me place of scripture that is familiar to you and for me. Although for you and for me, it is still a great mystery that contains a depth of God's wisdom, that contains a great commandment called to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 45-48 So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. Although I have said not once that in several places of Scripture that the sun that rises on the evil and on the good, it shines differently. It blesses the good and it curses the evil with its heat. Look how the sun shines, for example, in the desert, how it shines in Israel. Whoever goes there, they will know about this heat, about this wrath of God. Not one little grass. In the morning when we got up to go have a swim in the Dead Sea, we had to wake up very early in the four in the morning before the sun came out. Then it was 50-something degrees Celsius, but some, during the day it would go to 60 Celsius or more. This kind of heat is not a blessing. This kind of light is not a blessing. Now, on the other hand, when you go to to a different atmosphere when it is 26, 27 degrees Celsius or when God would come in the coolness of day. The light is there as well. Or in Job where it says, God says to him, you know how the sun shines and sends the sun to bless some and curse others. We know that it blesses some and punishes others. Floods might destroy different cities, but other cities, everything is balanced. That's why those who teach that we are supposed to love everyone, it is written love about love, tolerance, they might say that. Tolerance is a medicinal diagnosis. Tolerance is the lack of an immune system. That's why people today don't understand. Liberals, they are trying, they have taken this tolerance and bound themselves to it. Liberalism is the most dangerous within the church, when it is within the church, when the church has become liberal. The church, the true church of Jesus Christ was never tolerant. And it will never be, was never liberal, and never will be. This is God's fire, quenchable fire. Either you will serve God or you will die. If you enter incorrectly, I will destroy you. If you will not wash, wash before you come in, you will die. We do not, we never see where God would, where God would, not punish them for not doing something correctly. I don't understand how tolerant people who call themselves tolerant can sing of God's holiness. It is impossible. However close you may be to God, if you break His holiness, 
he will destroy you. Thanks, well, thanks still, thanks to the fact that not many can come into God's goodness because they are tolerant. In conjunction with our study of the path that leads us to perfection, we began to study the path that leads us to God, our bridegroom, in the event that is image of Rebecca's path to Isaac. We began to look at the signs presented in the bride of the Lamb, whom Rebecca represents in the virtue of the lily of the valley, that we are called to look upon with the eyes of our heart or eyes of our faith so that we could form ourselves into an image of perfection inherent to our Heavenly Father. So if we look with eyes of faith on the unseen process of life that flows through the lily, we will become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect with the eyes of the heart, not with our physical eyes. Let's read Luke 12, 27-32. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And so do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God promised to give the kingdom to the little flock, the remnants, the chosen. According to Scripture, many are called, but few are chosen. That's how Christ concluded his parables. That's why some might think that they belong to the many that are called, but, they be but he belongs to the chosen. I desire this, God desires this, and let it be so. According to these words, looking with eyes of faith at the unseen process of life that flows through the lily of the valley is one of the conditions necessary for gaining the kingdom of heaven, giving us a right to be clothed in the perfection of our Heavenly Father. And for this person, we turn to the unique relationship between the most beautiful woman and her beloved, who, according to the state of her heart and the functions of her heart, contains the virtues of the lilies of the valley that are represented in her heart as the kingdom of heaven that has descended in power. Songs of Solomon 5, 2-5 I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands tripped with mirror, my fingers with liquid mirror on the handles of the lock. We have already noted that in these words, the dialogue that occurs between the most beautiful woman and her beloved Lord unveils their deep relationship associated with the anticipation of their meeting and is evidence that she is ready for this meeting. And so if we have truly loved the coming of the Lord, then it will be necessary for us to test ourselves of our readiness to meet with the Lord in the air when He comes to those who wait for Him in salvation in our hearts. People might say that they await, but they don't await. 
he invites them to the feast and they say, I have brought a field and I'm going to go work it. I am going to go evangelize, in other words. They don't know that for God, communication and service are two different things. For him, communication with his children is higher than the service of his children to him. And to name and define certain signs in the dialogue between the most beautiful of woman and her Lord, signifying her readiness to meet with the Lord in the air, we... We understand that this is an allegory, a parable, and we, thanks to revelation from the Holy Spirit, when studying this translated text in Hebrew, came up with an extended version, and this is it. I am immersed in baptisms in the death of my Lord, where I died for my nation, my household, and my corrupt desires, but my inmost man in the resurrection of my Lord is awake in prayer. Here, the invocatory cry of my beloved who with a knock on my door proclaims the opportunity to use his right to rule, to show his strength in acts of truth. Open to me, my sister, who is filled with my mirror, who does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend and the one loved by me, incomparable with anyone, my dove, my perfect one, not having any blemish or evil. Because the authorities represented me are sent by me to you and are filled with the word of life, with the power of my spirit, and those who follow it have died to sin, to live for truth, and to create truth. I have taken off the tunic of the old man in his deeds. My cross has cooperated with the cross of Christ, and I do not desire to put my old man back on, because I have allowed my feet to be washed by recognizing my guilt before the sons of my mother. And I have washed their feet for giving their sins, and I do not desire for my feet to be dirty again by sinning against the sons of my mother. My beloved, proving his love, reached out his hand to me through my sacrifice that testifies of my veneration. He called me to freedom from dependence on my own man and its works and gave me the strength to control my mouth and placed a guard at my tongue. And my core was moved by his works and I rose from the ruins of death by the power of his resurrection and took off the burden of the old law so that my beloved could carve the words of the new law on the tablets of my heart that could clothe me into his truth so that my tongue could be filled with aromatic praise and the words of my mouth, like mirror, could be burned from the four horns of the golden altar of incense. In this saying, presented in the format of a dialogue, we focused our attention to five moments. These are the beloved confessing her state as a whole, I sleep, but my heart trembles, is awake, I am immersed to the death of my Lord, but my heart is awake in prayer in the resurrection of my Lord. Then there is an answer to this state, and then the first reaction of the beloved to the voice of her beloved, and then the beloved reacts to the reaction of his beloved, and then finally there is a second reaction of the beloved to how her beloved reacts. In previous sermons, we have already looked at the first two moments and have stopped to study the third moment. In the 
In the third moment, in the words of the extended version of the translation, is presented the answer of the Beloved to the relation of God received through the keyhole in the image of the dew and the drops. And as we have noted previously, the keyhole through which the Beloved stretched his hand is presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for reasonable service. So, when people illustrate in different paintings how God knocks, on the door of our heart, then the keyhole is a sacrifice. If a person has not presented himself as a sacrifice, then he ha he does not have a keyhole. And God does not knock in that heart that does not have a keyhole. A person who has not presented himself as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, God will not knock on this kind of a door. And to bring herself as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, it is necessary for the Beloved to take off the tunic of her old man and its works. We have already mentioned that in Hebrew the phrase, I have taken off my tunic means to rip the skin off a living animal. Therefore, the phrase, I have taken off my tunic, means I have allowed my skin to be ripped off so that in my distress I could lose my former life. Based on this, before a person is clothed in humility and receives opportunity to acknowledge his guilt before the sons of his mother, as well as forgive the faults of the sons of his mother, it will be necessary for him to take off his tunic, his old man. The washing of feet is when we forgive one another. Washing our each other's feet, we wash something because it is unclean. That means we have sinned against one another. Peter had said, Lord, will you wash my feet? He said, if I do not wash your feet, you cannot partake to me. Then Peter says, then wash my hands, my feet, my whole body. And he says, the one who is washed, only his feet should be washed. He showed that one who is washed, God has found peace between him and man, but we are supposed to find peace also with one another, with our neighbors. Oftentimes we might hurt one another, not doing this on purpose. A spouse might hurt a spouse, a sister a sister, a brother a brother, not doing this on purpose. We do not desire to hurt them. He says here, I do not want to wash my feet again by, because our mother is Sarah, the Jerusalem, and I do not want to defile my feet. We need, to f we need to know what might hurt our neighbors and to not say this out loud. This is what this is referring to. And in order to understand this, to feel this kind of love and to feel the heart of our neighbor, it is necessary to present ourselves to God as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. And for this purpose, for this to occur, it will be necessary for our cross to work with the cross of Christ, because the truth of the blood of Christ washes us from sin and in this manner clothes us into the justification of Christ, whereas the truth of the cross of Christ separates us from the factory of sin, which is our sinful man. So, in order for us to take off the tunic of our old man, to rip off this tunic and to present ourselves on the altar, as living, it is necessary to know the truth about the cross, because the truth about the cross separates us from our sinful man. 
God, God forgives our sins through the blood, but the old man still produces new sin. God forgives, but the old man still produces. And then we are given the teaching of the cross of Christ. And when taking up our cross with the cross of Christ, our old man, we are separated from it. In how we die for our nation, our household, and for our life. This is what it means when we are talking about the truth about the cross of Christ. In a certain format, we have already studied what the core of the cross of Christ is and what the core and how our cross differs from the cross of Christ, as well as on the foundation of which principles can our cross work with the cross of Christ. And we have stopped to examine the next question. On what grounds can we define that our cross is truly working with the cross of Christ and not his forgery? And these signs are called to be fruit of rightness or fruit of resurrection in the fruit of the yield of the tree yielding its fruit 12 times, bringing fruit each month. We have noted that the image of the cross of Christ is presented in 12 stones that lay on the bottom of Jordan, which marked victory over death. When the priest came to the bottom of Jordan, then the waters of Jordan had stopped. And God said to Moses, May each person from each tribe take 12 stones. May they take 12 stones together and place it, place it, and then take 12 stones out and put 12 stones in where the feet of the priest stood. Why was this needed? Because 12 stones placed on the bottom of Jordan signified victory over death. And the 12 stones taken from the bottom of Jordan signified death, victory over sin in the flesh. Whereas the image of our cross, where we die for our nation, for our household, and for our corrupt desires, is presented in the 12 stones on which the altar of the Lord was built. The 12 stones of the altar, as we know, show the pure goals and motives of our heart expressed in the readiness and strive to know the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. A living sacrifice presented on this altar is a means that is used to reach this pure goal, to know the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For this, we must present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And the first sacrifice that presented himself on the altar in the subject of the cross of Christ is Christ himself, who revealed for us his living sacrifice as a path to inheritance contained in his pure blood. Because in the pure blood of Christ is life. Christ said, if you drink my blood, you will have my life. Our blood carries life for us. We are living because we have blood. And basically, blood in Scripture is life or the soul. In Scripture, blood is the life of a person. The same way in Christ, his life is in his blood. And we drink his blood, the teaching about the blood and about the cross, we will have life. That's why in the New Jerusalem, as well as in the Eden of our heart, which is our place of worship with God, is the image of a living sacrifice on an altar out of 12 stones is presented in 12 pearly gates which express our stay in Christ through his trials. These 12 pearly gates in the subject of our stay in Christ in his trials is the key to entering into the kingdom of heaven. 
But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink it at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke 22, 28-30. This is talking about us suffering for the truth. The kingdom of heaven is expressed in inheriting eternal life that is presented in the tree of life, bearing twelve fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree, which are for the healing of the nations. We, in a certain format, have already looked at the names of the twelve patriarchs that were written on the twelve pearly gates, which yield the principles on the foundation of which we must cooperate in the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ, and principles which are a key to entering into the kingdom of heaven presented in our hearts as a tree of life. And so, the twelve pearly gates are a set of twelve principles which endow a living sacrifice in the face of a person who brings himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Whereas the twelve names of the patriarchs written on the twelve pearly gates are a set of twelve principles that were placed on the foundation in the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ. We know that the signs in the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ are called to become the results of resurrection in our heart in the image of the tree of life bearing twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Then in the definition of the word new, we see an image of the future that was supposed to be revealed in the New Testament in which a person received justification thanks to the gift of grace, independent of the law of Moses, which stirred anger. And this is not all. The definition of the word new pointed to the resurrection of life expressed in the fruit of the tree of life, which we are called to clothe ourselves in. So to be clothed into the new man is to be clothed into the fruit of life that we have grown. In a certain format, together we have looked at the fruit of the Spirit presented in the image of the fruit of the tree of life brought in the first two months of the sacred year. So each new month there were feasts and events that occurred in Israel. These feasts and events we are called to see in them different conditions, different signs of the fruit of resurrection. We started to look at these feasts and events and the fruit of resurrection that we are supposed to grow in our heart. But to grow fruit, we are supposed to receive the seed of these revelations through instruction and faith. And we have stopped to look at the feasts and events in the third month of the sacred year, in the month of Sivan. We've already, two we have already looked at in previous sermons. Fruit, fruit of the Spirit presented the image of the fruit of the tree of the life of the third month. This is Sivan. Fruit of the tree, first and foremost, was comprised of the fact that on the sixth day of the third month was a day of the Pentecost or Feast Week. We have noted that in our case, celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is accepting the Holy Spirit in our heart as the Lord and Ruler of our life not as a violent guest, but as the Lord and ruler of our life. In this acceptance, we are called to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit on the conditions that are set in place in Scripture so that we could be led by the Holy Spirit. A person himself is supposed to bind to the Holy Spirit so the Spirit could guide him. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. A person who is not taught how to accept the Holy Spirit as the ruler of his life can never bind himself to the Holy Spirit.
He can be baptized with the Holy Spirit and have the gift of tongues, but he cannot accept him as a Lord and ruler. He will accept him as a valued guest. Just as Laban Bethuel had accepted him, Rebecca, on the other hand, was an example who accepted him as the Lord, and she was divided and separated from her nation. Everyone received the gifts, gifts of the Spirit. Paul said, you do not have a lack in any gifts, but you are carnal, you have no spirit. I cannot speak with you as you if you are spiritual. Please, people who think they are using the gifts of the Spirit, they are spiritual. Yes, these are spiritual things, but you are not spiritual yourself. You are using spiritual things, but you are not spiritual. That's why evangelism, neither speaking in tongues or using the gifts of the Spirit are not spirituality. These are spiritual things, but they do not make us spiritual. The cross of Christ makes us spiritual. When we rip off the skin and when we are clothed into the new man, only then we are made spiritual. That's why, again, I will repeat that it is possible to speak in foreign tongues and remain carnal and resist what comes from the Spirit of God because speaking in tongues is a spiritual experience, but it does not make us holy and does not change the character that we have inherited from the vain life of our forefathers. We know very many people who may speak in tongues and they curse at the same time. And they have no relationship to holiness or to God Himself. They continue to speak in tongues by and still being alcoholics and taking drugs, drugs, being adulterers. They have the ability to speak in tongues because they had once accepted it. The Holy Spirit gave our spirit the ability to speak in tongues so that Satan could not understand us and so that we could not understand what our spirit says and to not, to not disturb it. When we say our spirit to change into a spiritual person and to get rid of the vain life of our fathers for this purpose the cross exists that is called to separate us from our nation from our household and from our carnal life with regard to this, we arrived at the need to look at some questions that are already familiar to us. Specifically, who is the Holy Spirit in His incarnation, and what role is He called to fulfill in our relationship with God? Second, what conditions must we fulfill so that we can accept the Holy Spirit in the quality of a ruler, and not as a high-valued guest? Third, according to what signs should we judge that we, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have accepted Him as a guest, like many do, or accepted Him as the ruler, like few do? In other words, how do God's chosen remnants accept Him? And fourth, according to what signs should we judge that we are being led by the Spirit of God and not the Spirit that is the seducing Spirit? Because we know that many people a lot of preachers who are given the ability to do something, to begin to say, the Holy Spirit has told me, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. I said this to him, and he answered this to me. And people begin having 
a picture that they don't have what this person has. Look how easily he can talk to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people came to me and said, why don't we hear the voice of God? And I say, do you think he hears? He is lying to you that the Spirit said this to him and that he has answered. He calls him the Holy Spirit, but in fact, these are his thoughts. He he is saying that his thoughts are the Spirit of God. But to define that this is truly the Holy Spirit first, the Holy Spirit very rarely will revive a person and say something in his name. The Holy Spirit said this to me. The Holy Spirit usually respects the Word and he lives there. And he will say to, if he reveals something to man, he will say, it is written, it is written. This is the Holy Spirit. But a person who is not sent by God, but is chosen by people, and who has sent himself, he is light in the eyes of God. And to make himself heavy, he says, the Holy Spirit has told me, at least for himself, so that he could feel that he has some kind of weight. And for the listeners, he might be heavy. Do not say this. People will look at you and they will define your weight. God somehow gives his children inside anointing that allows them the opportunity to differ one person from another. One time I was in one service, I was invited once. This was at our, it was a Roman, Romanian church. There were about 3,000 people. It was a very big church. I was invited there to there was there were uh, a couple who came and I was invited to have their ceremony at their marriage and I was invited I thought they were inviting me for this ceremony but when I came there it turned out he had chosen himself and six other people so all of these people were to all these people all these pastors were to were to talk about one place of scripture he said everyone has to speak in five minutes but you Arkady are given 15 minutes and a pastor sitting next to me a Korean said well how do you say something in five minutes what can you say something in five minutes you can say a lot but one place of scripture, he will say something about it, and then I'm, if I'm the next person, I don't know what else to say. This is what that pastor said. But what did the Christians say to me of this church later on? So first walks the pastor of the church, and then we walked behind him. There were seven people. And then behind us, walked the groom and bride and then the parents and then the rest that's how that's how we all entered then the bride and groom sat in the choir and then there were seven preachers who talked about marital marital union and when these Pre and then when these sermons were said, the couple was sent out and we were to raise our hands on them. Then when I walked, people said, we saw right away and we had curiosity to, this, to you, to this specific person who we saw for the first time. Who is this person? He has something so great. He had somehow been able to define that. The Holy Spirit allowed them to define that. And then when I started to speak, I myself physically physically felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It 
had brought everyone in awe. Obviously, yes, I read about the marital union in Galilee. And then I did a little bridge to the union of Esther to talk about the church, and I said about this shortly. And then when the service had ended, I saw these pastors gather, and they said to one another, something and then I started to exit and I was stopped and they had asked me to come to them I don't know these people I had seen them for the first time and they said to me are you able to pray for us for each of us individually and to lift your hands upon us I said of course well, what had caused these pastors to ask me to lift my hands on them and to bless them it was the anointing of God that was on me the Holy Spirit you know people will differ the Holy Spirit from the what is not the Holy Spirit while the Holy Spirit is not there people might yell that this might be the Holy Spirit but as soon as truth arrives it as a light will cast out all darkness and this darkness will close its mouth and will not be able to do anything. And so, the main difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit, Spirit of Man and the Spirit of God is that the Holy Spirit is God, whereas the Spirit of Man is God's creation or the product of God. And the main principle in the cooperation of our spirit with the Spirit of God is well reflected in the opening lines of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. This principle is comprised of the fact that until we proclaim the faith of our heart, the Holy Spirit will hover over the faith of our heart with readiness. When we proclaim the faith of our heart, the Holy Spirit immediately brings to fulfillment that which we proclaim. The words of faith proclaimed by a person are equal to the words of God that come from his mouth. Revelation of the Holy Spirit and His acceptance as our ruler is given to those saints who study and obey the commandments of Christ through instruction and faith in the order that is present in the body of Christ. In other words, those who have the status of a disciple. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. John 14, 15. In other words, the Holy Spirit is given as a helper for those who love the Lord and who fulfill His commandments because love toward God is not in emotions but in the fulfillment of His commandments. And then they are given the Holy Spirit as a helper. And when a person has some kind of trials, the deeper the trials, then the brighter the comfort. I have experienced this many times in different circumstances. Difficult circumstances when I was in on the heights of God comfort the comfort as David said you have cast a net for my enemies enemies all around me but inside I am comforted the Holy Spirit can comfort us when you are in joy and when everything is good in your life the Holy Spirit doesn't have a need to comfort us because we don't need comfort in this time we need comfort when something unthinkable has has happened our spouse has died or our wife has left us parents 
have given up their children or children have given up the authority of their parents. Our neighbors have backstabbed us. Something occurs. We have lost our favorite job. We have wrecked our favorite car. Something unthinkable sometimes happens. And some are able to face this easily, but others are referred to as psychologists who give them either tranquilizers or drugs, and they become drug addicts. Many people from different churches call me. What do I do? One woman calls me and says, I cannot tell. I have 11 children. I have gone, over, gone through a surgery after my car accident and I have started taking pills and I'm embarrassed to tell my husband because I have been stealing money for drugs. I know a lot of dealers. My husband doesn't know. I have taken all his credit cards and used them for drugs. I want to commit suicide, she says. She's from one of our neighboring states. Why did she call me? There are many different pastors and churches there, as there are here. Why did she call me? And when these kind of calls come from different people from different churches, I say, Lord, this isn't a call to me, this is a call to you. They have seen something in me that they decided to call me. They saw have saw that you are with me and because they have called give mercy to these people. Give me an answer to these for these people. This is very important. The Holy Spirit comforts only those who follow His commandments. That's why accepting the Holy Spirit as a ruler who will help us in our prayer battle occurs through acceptance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Acts 1.8 Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak or utter the mysteries of God in foreign tongues the ability to brittle ourselves and carry the ship of our faith into eternal life. Speaking in tongues is the result of baptism of the Holy Spirit. The calling and purpose of speaking in tongues is to give us the opportunity to implement our partaking to God by partaking to His nation due to our separation from our nation, our household, and our life. However, the calling and purpose of speaking in tongues fulfills its goals when we understand its purpose and use it as a weapon according to the norms established in Scripture. We have also noted that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we receive a unique and faithful opportunity. We either receive the opportunity to either accept the Holy Spirit as a ruler in our life in order to receive power from Him and in Him to create total and complete separation from our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires so that in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, we could bring God fruit of rightness in the subject of a godly life, carrying within it the resurrection of Christ. Or to accept the Holy Spirit as a valued guest and continue to remain dependent on our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires and to give up fruit of the Spirit for works of the flesh in the subject of visible godliness that does not carry the power of resurrection.
We have noted that those who think and teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit could be earned through good deeds, prayer, and fasting, in fact, do not obey the truth and are viewed by Scripture as fools. Pastor Paul says, Have you not accepted him as a gift through instruction and faith? So these people are seen. Baptism of the Holy Spirit will not bring them any benefit. They will accept it as a guest, and that's it. He will leave them, and they will be left carnal, who do not have a spirit but speak in tongues. The importance of the tongue, especially a foreign tongue, is outlined in the Bible in a special way. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Only when a person understands the meaning of foreign tongues, only then these tongues begin to work in him and not against him. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36-37. Through these words, Christ wanted to say one thing. When you proclaim that which is not in your heart, this is something you will be judged for. How were you able to take his words that are not in your heart? You said that this is written in the Bible. But we need to proclaim to God not what is written in the Bible, but what is in our heart. Yes, the faith of our heart is founded in the Bible. We need to write, rewrite the Bible on the tablets of our heart so that our conscience is clean from dead works because that is where in the Ark of the Law is where we have this, this Urim and Thummim. This is the conscience of a man that is cleansed from dead works, and it will judge us. Our conscience judges us on the foundation of our knowledge. If someone is told that you have no veil over your head, then you cannot pray. And if a person accepts this, and his conscience judges him, and he cannot pray without covering their head, I remember when I was a young child, each night, Different neighbors came, Christian neighbors, believers. They came without being covered. And when all of a sudden it was offered to pray, I saw that a lot of the women had grabbed something, anything, to cover their heads. Someone might have grabbed a pillow. And one woman, I remember, she grabbed a, a dirty blanket from her child. And I saw, doesn't she not understand? Does she not smell the smell? And she st stands there praying. A veil is not something that is religious. It is something that was something else about it meant accepting the authority of God and this referred to the head that are given as a blanket the hair of a woman are given as a blanket a veil the hair of a woman that are a veil is an image of that veil that person accepts the authority of her husband because she might be wearing another Veil. One sister said to me, 
my husband walks along one plank. What I tell, what I tell him, he will do. So she has this. Her head is adorned. Usually, these people are religious, and their husbands do not have it easy. I understand you might you might wear something on your head without having any meaning to it. When one woman came to something in our came to our church and she heard this truth, this woman said, I want to testify that I will come out of the church, I will take my what I'm wearing on my head, take it off and trample on it. I said to her, Why do you need to trample what is on your head? This will be embarrassing. Don't do this. Oh, she says, good thing I asked you because I would have trampled all over it. You don't need to trample all over it. You can just testify that this has been revealed to you. For some, this has been revealed, but for some, this is not revealed. But the, this is not what the salt is. When we proclaim the word that is not in our heart, we will answer for it. The thing is, is that according to Scripture, any contact or communication with the Holy Spirit is possible and can be realized only through our reborn spirit, which by nature is akin to God. This is God's implemented order. And the order of this kind of cooperation will be possible under the condition that between our reborn spirit and our renewed thinking, a conscience co conscious cooperation will be developed. And so if our thinking is not renewed by the spirit of our mind, we will not be able to understand our reborn spirit. Because of this, we will will never be able to be led by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we will not be able to worship God in our spirit and have lawful fellowship with Him. We will not be able to partake to the military army of Israel because the word Israel is a worshiper of God. And so the second question, what conditions must we fulfill so that we can accept the Holy Spirit as our ruler? as it is written but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth Acts 1.8 to be a witness to Christ is to be a light in the dwelling and city that stands on the heights of the mountain and this means to represent his power and his authority he received from the Heavenly Father the character and nature of the power of the Holy Spirit before His descent can be understood and accepted only by understanding and fulfilling certain conditions that are contained in the image of the statutes regarding the celebration of the Pentecost feast. We have noted that in the New Testament, the phrase, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, is the only one. And this phrase was borrowed by Christ from the relationship of God with His people in the period of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, this phrase is never used again. Not by the apostles. Paul met people, and he said, Have you accepted the Holy Spirit? And when Paul had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, he had come down once on the day of the Pentecost. Before the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on certain prophets. He came, he did his work, and he left. That's why the difference between the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament compared to Old Test New Testament is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit descended only on prophets, priests, judge, kings, and Nazarenes, and gave them power only at a certain time and only for a certain purpose. And when the person was completed or fulfilled, the supernatural power departed them. 
But after the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out into the heart of man, into his eternal place of dwelling. He fulfilled his work through these people at a time that was appointed by him and for a certain purpose. He was not only with them, but also in them. Second, in the period of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit does not descend anymore and pours out not only a kings, priests, prophets, judges, and Nazarenes, but on every flesh that has accepted the Holy Spirit through instruction and faith. Three, in the New Testament, the phrase, and the Holy Spirit descended, was replaced by, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I will bring an example in Judges 14.6 about Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father's mother what he had done. So he could not at any time to tear the lion apart only when the Holy Spirit was upon him. Descended means to make powerful, make successful, be clothed in power, and to do useful to God. In the New Testament, Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit descended, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So from inside the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did not tear the lion apart. But they said they spoke the word of God with boldness. Have you paid attention what the power of the Holy Spirit was given for? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's why in this case, filled means to fill with power, to be bold, to do work, and to fulfill the will of God. In this manner, the power of the Holy Spirit that the disciples received during the descent of the Holy Spirit was given to them so that they could speak the Word of God with boldness. Because everything that God does on earth, He does through His Word. A person can never be healed without the Word with boldness. Boldness is a legal right that is founded on the power of the blood of the cross of Christ. Thanks to boldness, we have two things. We cannot lie to God and we have strong comfort. And second, boldness is the faith of the heart that is manifested in the proclamation of the word of faith. All of the miracles and powers of the Holy Spirit are realized through boldness expressed in the word of faith. Furthermore, when looking at the conditions for accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, to receive His power expressed in the boldness to proclaim the word of faith, we came to the conclusion that the statutes regarding the observing of the Feast of the Pentecost are contained in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verses 15 to 21. We must fulfill seven conditions which are presented in the observance of the Feast of the Pentecost. I will mention these seven images and we will see them and we will look at the conditions that are in each image. First, two new leavened breads were supposed to be baked of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour. Second, along with two new leavened breads, it is necessary to represent seven lambs of the first year. Three, it is necessary to present one young bull and two rams. Then it is necessary to present a grain offering and a drink offering. It is necessary to represent one kind of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. Then the priest is supposed to bring all of this before the Lord 
along with two leavened breads and two lambs. Seven, this offering ought to be brought during the Holy Convocation, and at this time no customary work should be done. We have noted that, that, the, that fulfilling each feast in the body of Christ is tied to presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for reasonable service. And as far as we know, a living sacrifice is the keyhole through which God receives the right to stretch His hand toward us as a sign of His favor upon us, where we receive the opportunity to bring God new fruit that coincides with the nature of each new month that are a part of the 12 months of the sacred year. In a certain format, to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, we already looked at the first four, five images, and so we will turn to the fifth image. We will turn attention to the sixth meaning, the image which, as before, is a condition, necessary for the acceptance of the Holy Spirit as the Lord of our life. This is to bring two new leavened breads with two lambs before the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kind, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They should be holy to the Lord for the priests. Leviticus 23, 19-20. Let's remember that the image of the two new leavened breads brought to God on the day of the celebration of the Pentecost feast represented two substances of a person's essence that could accept and nurture the seed of the kingdom of heaven into the tree of life, bringing its fruit twelve times with each new month yielding its fruit. This is the inner or inmost man and renewed mind. These two substances in man and their cooperation is called to present God the opportunity to act on heaven er, on planet Earth. This is where God's kingdom flows. So the spirit, the, so the spirit of a new man can only work through his renewed mind. First Corinthians five seven through eight. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Passover, one of the meanings is either leaven, or the kingdom of heaven, Christ, or Christ that was pierced for our transgressions. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. As leaven of sin sours all dough, transforming all of man into the kingdom of Satan, in the same way leaven of righteousness transforms a man into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13:33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. This is not the kingdom of sin. The kingdom of heaven is also like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Two lambs of one year brought as a sacrifice, as a peace offering, along with the two new leavened breads. This is evidence that God, through the death of Jesus Christ, allowed peace to reign between us and the nation of Israel. And in this manner, in one body, he reconciled both with God through the cross, destroying the hostility between them. Therefore, we must always remember that accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord of our life is impossible without merging into Jesus Christ, into one nation with the people of Israel. 
Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Therefore, from these words we note that by not being bound to the root system of Israel expressed in the teaching of Judaism, the ratification and faith that is yielded by the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, we will never be able to accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord of our life. That's why those Christians who hate Jews, each time Satan begins to work through Christians, the first that is expressed is their hatred towards Jews. When Satan began to work through Martin Luther, and the first thing that was expressed was hatred towards Jews. He wrote that this is a cancerous tumor that must be taken out from the earth to, be des to destroy the Jews. And according to the sermon of Martin Luther, all the European governments, Spain, they understood they rose against Jews and the Queen of Spain said those Jews who do not come out in three days they will be died and Jews who were not able to escape in three days they were killed do you think a person who hates Jews will enter into the kingdom of heaven or into the kingdom of evil I have met Christians who hate Jews. Today, in Ukraine, a lot of Christians hate Jews because the idea of fascism that people served, they highlight this. Yes, they hate Russians, but along with Russians, they hate Jews. They say they must be destroyed. Satan rises people against Jews, first and foremost, to destroy them. This is very dangerous because Scripture says, those who bless you will be blessed. This is talking about Jews, and those who curse you will be cursed. We are one nation in Christ Jesus. And so those who curse Jews curse us as well because we stand for Jews and we are against this nationalism. That's why we are cast into their hatred. When I say that in Maidan, fascists have come to power, I had received a stack of letters from Christians and one said to me, I will come to America, I will find you there and I will kill you. And one brother, Andre, one of the former members of our church, you all know him, he said to him, I'm a Bandera. Can you imagine what happened to people who had not truly accepted Jesus Christ and separated from their nation? They cannot worship in spirit and truth. This is written that you who are far off, you have become one. That's why if we do not have love toward Jews and we do not see ourselves as Jews, we are supposed to see ourselves as Jews. Jews is not a nation. Look at Israel. They will tell you what a Jew is. 
They say, Jews, young man, is the state of your soul. This is not nation. Jews are made from many different nations. They say, this is the state of your soul. You are not needed here. You are a foreigner. This earth is not your home. We are foreigners here. That's why Abraham was called a foreigner, a stranger, a Jew. This is not a nation. Without the Holy Spirit, as the Lord of our life, we will never be able to worship the Father in spirit and truth because the teaching of Judaism is an ancient teaching about, the, about being born again that was implemented by God right after the sin of the first man whom God clothed in leather garments. You know that Adam was a, a carnal man. If he was to eat out of the tree of life, he would have become spiritual, but he didn't do this. That's why God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would be later brought, God doesn't have past, present, and future. He kills, he sacrifices this lamb. And a person who sacrifices lamb, he gives Adam knowledge that you are able to be redeemed through the acceptance of Jesus Christ, through rebirth from God. And here Adam is born from God. If Adam was not born from God, God would not have clothed him in leather garments. This is where the idea of being born from God comes from, being born from God, redemption. This is the teaching of Judaism. They are called Meshachites in Israel. In other words, Christians, Messians. That's why Adam and all the mankind that came from him was suggested redemption in the first sacrifice that represented an image of the redemption of Jesus Christ. Waving before the Lord two new leavened breads with two lambs as the fruit of the Spirit and the image of a living sacrifice was evidence of the restoration of the damage to made to God and was perceived by God as a peace offering or as mercy. Because along with it, two lambs were brought as a peace offering. They were waved. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so ever loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. Perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of his spirit. First John 4, 10-13. Pay attention to the concluding er words. We abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The core of these words is in the fact that we accepted the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. This is evidence that we are God's children and we are being led by the Holy Spirit. And this kind of acceptance is impossible without accepting the person whom God placed over us. Only thanks to being instructed in faith by this person, we will be able to separate ourselves from our nation, our household, and our life. The factor of taking up our cross and following Christ is an image of bringing two new leavened breads and two lambs. A wave or a jolt is evidence of the immovable kingdom of God that has come to power in the face of the Holy Spirit for a new creation that has been born of God. New creation are all who have been baptized in Christ or who have been clothed in Christ, whether where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one body in Christ Jesus. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3:26 28 we should note that God will not shake us in this manner if we do not understand the goal of this kind of shaking and proclaim our agreement with this as the faith of our heart. The goal of turmoil in the shaking of our faith is directed toward the person who is created by God, to change a person from being created by God to being born of God. Of being waved or being shaken are those who are created are being clothed into let's read about it in Hebrews 12, 25-29 see that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Do you notice the removal of things that are shaken? In order for us to enter into heaven, we must not be created by God, but to be born of God, so that we are immovable. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We are shaken. God shakes us when we separate from our nation. It is written, those who hate their nation, their household, or those who not do this are not worthy of me. So I let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12:25-29. And so shaking. In Greek, if we, trans, uh, if we translate it to Russian, is turmoil, a burnt sacrifice, peace offering, offering of things, establishing an unshakable peace. So he is shaken so that we can establish an unshakable peace. Because a person who is created, he cannot have a peace of God that is unshaken. He needs to be shaken, jolted, so that he is made into an un immovable kingdom. Right now we will pray and all those who desire to be shaken so that from being one who is being unshaken can be made immovable. We do not carry the title. The Holy... I was asked, what is the name of your church when we were registered? I said, we are Christians. And someone asked me, when a baby is born, he's given a name. Give me a name for your church that you are registering. I turned inside and I said, Lord, what name should I give us? And I said, immovable foundation. And I said, immovable foundation. Benjamin Shevchenko was next to me, he translated it for me, and they, and they began to 
talk with one another about how to translate this to the English to English. There were a few people who translated this Immovable Foundation Church. But when I had sent one American this letter, he replied to me, the pastor of the church whose foundation is not shaken. So Immovable Foundation, Immovable Teaching, God had given us this name. When this, when this congregation was born, this name was given. At that time, of course, we were not shaken yet. But as soon as this begins, someone begins to truly enter into this church, he truly becomes shaken because his relatives go against us. Many dirt is set against him, and a person begins to be shaken. Either he needs to separate himself from his nation, from his Catholics, from Lutherans, to completely... People ask me, what are you called? We are not a denomination. We have people from everywhere, from... Catholics, from Baptists, from the Orthodox, from those from Seventh-day Adventists, because we have all been shaken. We have allowed God to shake us. That's why those who want to be shaken so that they can be, their foundation can become immovable, their heart can become immovable, and he can be clothed into the kingdom of heaven you can come to this altar and we will pray together and I believe that God in these end days will truly do his build his immovable foundation from those souls who allow him to shake them to jolt them so that they could be immovable I will pray along with you with your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you he is not against you the Holy Spirit is here to cleanse you, to save you from the fear of upcoming trials, from fear of hunger, to free you from all dependence, to clothe you into the immovable kingdom, and to make you immovable before his face, your eyes closed an element of a secret room, your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you're ready to accept from God that which he has prepared for you in his redemption. Pray along with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my fear, with my illnesses, with my dependencies, I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wound, heal my fears, take my shame, I open my heart. I give myself as a living sacrifice and I ask you enter into my heart as the Lord and as the ruler of my life I want to be led by you I want to meet you in the clouds of heaven I am joyful that you are my God I believe your word and so right now before heaven and earth, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins and transgressions are forgiven, and they are thrown 
into the lake. May the Lord bless you. May He shine down upon you with His holy face, and may He give you peace. May thousands among you fall, but may they not come near you. May the blessings come down upon you. May on you be the blessings of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May on your foreheads be the diadem of power. May you stand over all illness, illnesses, viruses, and all fears. And may Lord in you and in your children show his kingdom. And may the people say, Amen. And now uh, may we together proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.